welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Sometimes we hear something that is so out there, so unimaginable, so unexpected, we have to see it with our own eyes in order to believe it or in order to even begin to believe it. My son Sam and his wife Lauren have a dog named Greg. That alone is hard to believe, but it's true. And Greg has a ton of energy. He's very athletic. He's very smart. But Greg absolutely loves water. Like more than any dog that has ever trotted across this planet, Greg loves, adores water. Water is his most favorite thing, and it is actually mind-bending to watch him around water. I mean, you're thinking right now, oh, he likes water. Okay, he likes to drink it. He likes to swim in it. You've got to multiply that by at least 50 to get close to Greg's affection for water. In fact, this is actually one of those things we almost have to see in order to believe. So I asked Sam to take a video of Greg in action. This was yesterday at their house. You can roll the video. This is the best. So he's digging it. He's trying to shut the drain. That's what he's doing there. Shut the drain so it fills up. You didn't probably hear this, but Sam said to him as they're walking, he goes, you can go get in your tub. Okay, it's his tub now. It's so funny. He also makes, a. Greg can make a delicious chicken Alfredo pasta too. It's really amazing. Well, last weekend we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and Resurrection from the dead, it seems to me, is the epitome of the amazing, incomparable, impossible, mind-bending that we almost have to see in order to believe. But the resurrection happened 2,000 years ago. So how can anyone see it today? And with that, I'd like to ask you to stand for our scripture reading. It comes today from 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 10. It's page 1,221. Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy... But now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. 
Peter wrote to Christians scattered around the Roman Empire who were facing rising pressure and persecution for their faith because they were Christians. So they were living in a difficult and demanding situation. At the time, 60 or so AD, Christianity was actually not that big of a deal within the Roman Empire. It was a relatively small movement. But in this passage we just read, Peter lets loose and he breathes life into this fledgling church. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The language here is historically rich. And if nothing else, it would have left the hearer with the idea that who they were as the people of God was a really big deal. Many of the first hearers would have recognized this language as originally referring to the nation of Israel. In Exodus 19.6, for example, God is speaking to Moses about the Israelites shortly after they are freed from captivity in Egypt. Tell the people of Israel, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Sounds like Peter knew this verse. God is essentially saying in Exodus 19, I'm going to show the world who I am and what I'm about through a liberated people called Israel. As I mentioned, Peter is writing to these early Christians who are under pressure and living in difficult times. And he reminds them, you are living stones being built into a spiritual house by the power of the living stone. You are God's chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, special possession that you may declare the praises of God who called them out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This rich language originally about Israel and about the temple where the presence of God dwelled, is now applied to the church. God is essentially saying through the words of Peter, I'm going to show the world who I am and what I am about through a liberated people called the church. Or to say it another way, I'm going to make resurrection life visible through a people called the church. If nothing else... It should land on us as, I guess this is kind of a big deal. And here we are 2,000 years later, one local church wanting to make resurrection life visible and visceral and tangible and real in our time so people can see it and then maybe eventually believe it. So our Eastertide series is called Breathe Life. Breathe life in, breathe resurrection life out. Those who have been liberated by the risen Christ are to breathe his resurrection life into each other and into this world. So back to the original dilemma. 
How do you see resurrection when it happened 2,000 years ago? Resurrection is seen today when the people of God live and love like the people of God. That is, when we care for each other and for the world, serve each other and serve the world. When we incarnate the reality of the risen Christ to each other and to the world. When we do this, the amazing, unexpected, incomparable, and unimaginable resurrection is put on display and it's actually made visible to the world. So mission to this world emanates, grows out of, flows out of the work and formation God is cultivating in a people known as the church. So over the next several weeks, we want to talk about how we here at this one local church can become this kind of life-giving community. We all know we can be a church and not breathe life into each other or into the world. We all know how real this is. We all know this idea of breathing life into each other or the world won't happen automatically simply because there's a cross on this building and the name of our church is Oak Hills Church. It won't happen automatically. So in this Eastertide, we're going to explore the practices and the habits and the disciplines that we engage in together so we grow and become a life-giving community to each other and to the world. And there's a book that is kind of providing the framework, the background of this series. And I think we have a picture. We may not, but we, I thought we had a picture of the book. Maybe we don't. But the book is called Faithful Presence. The book was written by a guy named David Fitch. You've heard us talk about him many times. Each week of this series, we're going to be exploring a different practice, a different discipline. And those practices and disciplines are each spelled out in greater detail in this book, Faithful Presence. The idea of this book is how can the church be a faithful presence in today's world? So if you're interested in it, I would encourage you to get the book. Uh, This book has shaped our thinking on church and on mission and on being the people of God in this world. So let's talk about a life-giving community as we begin. The reason we are doing this series, and Zach just put his finger on it, the reason we are doing this series is to continue to emphasize that community is a non-negotiable essential to the Christian life and mission. In our passage, and most of the time in the New Testament, when we see the word you, Y-O-U, as in you come to him, the living stone, or you are a chosen people, most of the time when we see the word you in the New Testament, the you is plural. The you is referring to a community, not to an individual. We've said this a million times, but Christianity is a communal journey, not just an individual one. It is we and God, not merely me and God. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, the Bible is about God at work in a people. God at work to transform a community so it is an authentically new community. Kingdom ethics and values and principles and practices that shape the community into a new community where qualities such as sacrificial love, 
grace, forgiveness, patience, humility, and unity are on display. Let's drill down another layer on this issue of unity. Unity is a huge ethic and value of God's new community. Different people with different perspectives and backgrounds and ideas and ethnicities and opinions and hair colors and ages and politics coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, working out those differences under Jesus' guidance and leadership, following and worshiping him together and discerning their differences along the way. Richard Mao, in a book called Uncommon Decency, writes this, to be a Christian is to belong to a community that is in the process of being made right. If we are not able to point to our own communal life to illustrate the righteousness we want for everyone, our message is not credible. This is a really important thing for us to think about. If we can't point to our own communal life to illustrate the righteousness we want for everyone, our message is not credible. If I whittle that down and don't be quite as nice as him, I'd say it this way. Quit whining about it and quit posting about it. Experience it in a communal setting. If we want a world where people are not so violently divided over their differences, then we ourselves must be engaged in a communal life with those who are different than we are, working toward the righteousness of unity in Christ. We make visible, in other words, resurrection life through the unity of our community. And this happens, can happen in a marriage, for sure. Can happen in a family. Can happen in a home can happen in a group, can happen in a church. But we got to point somewhere and then engage in that somewhere to bring this reality to life so our message is credible instead of just griping about it or posting about it. The church starts to really grow as a new community, as a kingdom community, when resurrection life actually shapes how we do relationships. We start becoming a unified body. We start becoming an actual family of brothers and sisters. Sometimes we have to see something before we can believe it. So think about it. Forgiveness, love, hope, grace, reconciliation, peace, kindness, goodness, joy, nice words but not easy to envision in these divided times. Here's the thing, and I hope this stokes a fire. Here's the deal. We as a local church are to be a divine society where those priorities I just mentioned, God's priorities, are displayed through our life together and through our relationships. I hope, if nothing else, this lands in your thinking, hmm. This is a bit of a big deal. But we can't experience this community when we are isolated from one another. We can't experience this kind of community when we only huddle with those who think 
or believe or look or vote like we do. And we can't experience this kind of community when we think of church as a place to consume religious goods and services instead of church as a people to engage with and to grow with. Michael Frost puts it this way, through the quality and difference of our community, we alert the world that God reigns and we become a compelling preview of what life and the world is like when God reigns. Practically, what does this whittle down to? Practically, as we think of what it means to have faith in Jesus, as you think of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, keep realizing it means community. It means togetherness. It means body, hand, feet, knee, finger, shoulder, neck, back. It means family, brother, sister, children, aunts, uncles, cousins, connected, interwoven, interdependent. Let's talk about breathing life into each other. Peter says in verse 9, to this scattered group, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Think about this from a first century Jewish context. Ethnicity was inherited. You were either born Jewish and part of the chosen ones or you weren't. Royalty was inherited. It was a bloodline issue. You either had royal blood or you didn't. The priesthood was the same. Either you were born into the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, or you weren't. But here, Peter affirms that those who are Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, male and female, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, he says now, through Jesus, you, plural, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And with that single statement, Peter lays down the mind-bending truth that the culture of the church is to be drastically different than the culture. Hard lines and elitist categories and hierarchical structures were the order of the day in the first century. Men were greater than women. Jews were better than Gentiles. The free were superior to the slave, and so on we could go. The new community of the church obliterates these games of thrones. The church is not top-down, power over. It's not a machine. It's not a corporation. It's not even a place. What is it then? It's eyeball to eyeball. Brother and sister. Family. Body relationship, interwoven tapestry, togetherness. And on this level ground, here's the big shocker. On this level ground, we are priests to each other. You are priests to one another. Followers of Christ have access to God through Jesus, and we are to breathe resurrection life into each other as brothers and sisters and members of one body. Really practically, what am I saying? I'm saying this means we are to be pastors to each other. We minister to each other. We feel the responsibility 
to tend to one another's soul. The privatized me and Jesus thing gives way to a mutuality and a connectedness where we realize we cannot become the people God intended on our own, so we pastor each other. The New Testament is full of one another passages that detail out how we breathe life into one another. Care, serve, pray, encourage, speak the truth, confess our sins. This is what Zach was talking about a minute ago. Caring for each other, bearing one another's burdens, building one another up, loving one another deeply from the heart, as Peter puts it in an earlier chapter. Engaging with each other, pouring into each other, helping each other, staying connected. It's really, when you get right down to it, about being a family. Interconnected, interdependent, pockets of people literally bound together, and then all the pockets bound together in the body of Christ and in the family of God. And what starts to fade? What starts to go from a 16 font down to a 4 font? Me. I. Because we're caught up into this community. Some of you pastor each other so incredibly well. Some of you are priests to each other So incredibly well. I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. I've seen it recently as people in our church have suffered personal loss. And some of you have made the sacrifice to show up and be present and walk with and pray for and love on. That's the church. That's breathing life. That's pastoring one another. That's our calling to each other. And when we do this, it is a visible display of resurrection, life, and power. Again, it's what Zach said. If we could do this, imagine what the world would see. And what he's saying is, if we did this, this thing of resurrection would come to life in us and through us. Many of you have pastored me. Sometimes right in this room, sometimes right in this room, as things are happening, as we're doing our thing, some of you have come and pastored me and ministered to me. It is the most glorious moments I've had. Now, again, I'm not saying this so like 30 of you do this every week. I'm not asking for that. I'm begging you not to do that. But some of you have pastored to me in the most compelling ways. By just coming up with a word, with a prayer, with a touch, with a whatever. Some of you have pastored me in this room. Some of you have pastored me outside this room. Earlier this morning, a group of people were gathered up front here in a mosh pit of prayer. And they were here to pray for you at 845 this morning. To pray that as you came in, that God would be present to you. That he would speak to you. Not that you would get something out of this but that you would be alert to God, that you would take risks in his name and pastor someone while you were here by his power. These people that were gathered here were pastoring you. They were praying for you. They were praying and pastoring for me. Do you see this? Priesthood, a royal priesthood. 
And all of this stirs at what a local church is and why it exists and why it matters. I want to reiterate something I said last Sunday. Just to kind of make sure you know that I know this is not the way it is all the time. What Peter describes and what we're trying to get at today does not always take shape in a local church. Maybe it rarely happens. All sorts of other silly games often occur within a local church. Like what kind? Like ego-driven pastor games. Ego-driven leadership games. All sorts of religious consumer games. These days, all sorts of political idolatry sweeping all across the political spectrum infects and soils the Christian church. You know it as well as I do. So it shouldn't surprise us that the culture in the world is rather underwhelmed with the Christian church because too often the church has not been a new community. It's been an angry community. And when you pin a cross on something, but that something is still self-centered, ego-driven, consumer-oriented, me-first, angry, and anti, it does unbelievable damage and makes it really hard to believe in. So it is the rawness and the realness and the brokenness and the authenticity of our conversations and our relationships. It is the genuine sharing of our hurts and pains and struggles as people, every last one of us who are in process, that becomes the raw material for God to form us into an authentically new kingdom community. Lastly, let's talk about breathing life into the world. Peter says, this is who you are, church, a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Our job as the church is not to breathe condemnation on the world. That's the Holy Spirit's job in his time. Our job is not, as the church, to breathe judgment on the world. That's the Holy Spirit's job in his time. Our job is to be present to the world and listen for the groans, look for the tears, and breathe resurrection life into the brokenness. Having been freed from darkness, this is what Dana was inviting us to think about earlier. Having been freed from darkness, we return to the darkness, declaring and proclaiming the good news of the resurrected king. Life over death, hope over despair, love over hate. As Peter describes it, he has given us new birth and to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A living hope that we proclaim, you proclaim, I proclaim, wherever we encounter darkness or the scent of death. And this is not some kind of squishy love that's afraid to confront or correct. This is not peddling some religious potion. This is offering people living hope through the living presence of Jesus Christ. It is caring for the hurting we encounter in our lives because Jesus did this. It's loving the lost because Jesus did. It's bearing the burdens of the neighbor on our street because Jesus did. It's caring 
for the person we work with as they go through trials because Jesus did. And there are so many wonderful examples where we see this happening in the community of our church, people caring for the world. I don't have time to dive into this, but this whole arena of refugees is one of the arenas where people from our church are taking the risk and taking the time and engaging with this issue to bring the love and compassion of Christ right into this very real setting. This is mission. Going out and breathing life into the world and doing so together. Demonstrating the resurrection life so people can see it and then maybe eventually in time believe it. So I want to finish by giving you a bit of my heart, something that pulsates deep within me. I want Oak Hills to be different, not bigger, not flashier, not more successful in the typical way church success is understood. I want us to be different by making space for the kingdom of God to break in and break out in ways we have not yet imagined. I want Oak Hills to be comprised of different kinds of people. I don't want our church filled with people who look the same, talk the same, live the same in the same kind of neighborhoods, work the same kind of jobs, make the same amounts of money, have the same kind of past, vote the same, interpret the Bible the same, or believe all the same things theologically. I don't want that because when I read the Bible, I don't find God reinforcing the walls we build between ourselves and others. I find him knocking down those walls. When I read the Bible, I don't find a God who sits and lays down and heals when I tell him to. I find a God who runs and gallops into the spaces and places I never dreamed he would and I can barely keep up with him. When I read the Bible, I don't find a tribal God who bolsters my agenda and makes me more comfortable. I find a God who invites me into his agenda and only ever promises to keep disturbing my peace and disrupting my comfort. When I read the Bible, I find a God whose outer boundaries of love and grace are hundreds of miles beyond my own. And I'm most often left in speechless awe over the extent of his love and grace. I want us to be different. Something real. People can see that helps them believe. Something that breathes authentic resurrection life and power into this very, very desperate world. Would you pray with me? It's a big deal. May not seem like a big deal. But when the mystery and the wonder and the tapestry and the connectedness and the togetherness and the body and the family start to enfold us, it's a big deal. Not to build an empire. But to breathe life resurrection life into each other and into the world so the world can see resurrection and then maybe eventually 
believe. We are a we by the power of the Spirit. The we is a 20 font. The I is a four font. The beauty of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is to be manifested, reflected, on display in the life of a local church so the world can see the beauty of the Trinity, the beauty of God and resurrection life, goodness on display. The goodness of God, the overwhelming, cascading, unstoppable, irresistible, unimaginable goodness of God on display in the life and relationships and conflicts and tensions of a local church. Lord Jesus, knit us together in ways we haven't been and may your kingdom break out and break in in ways we've not imagined. For your glory we pray.